Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Hey, wherever you are... However you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by creative consultant Oliver Camacho with co-hosts Matt Cummings and Weston Williams. We are live on WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago. 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. Call us live on air, 847 847- Eight six six nine six eight seven. All right, tonight, countertenor Arya Nussbaum Cohen returns to the show live by phone from Houston. We ask him about his work at Houston Grand Opera and his life post Hurricane Harvey. And then in Chalk Talk, it's operatic potpourri. We get you details on the latest competitions, repertoire lists, and a special focus on opera in Washington D.C. Plus, it's the two-minute drill. You get all your opera headlines from the past week and our hot takes on them. It's going to be a great show. Oliver Camacho, great to have you back. The Americans did so badly in the American on the Australian Open. There's only one left standing. I think maybe one in each uh, men's and women's uh, tournament. Is, is it anybody I would have heard of? Or? Uh, Madison Keys, uh, she's got very big teeth. That's not what I thought yeah. you were going to say. And <laughs> I, think, I think the American <laughs> man is called Tennis Sandgren, of all names to have tennis, you know? I, I was waiting for the destiny. new balls, please, joke from you, Oliver, because it... Anyway. Uh, hey, Matt Cummings, good to have you back. Hey, it feels like it's been a really long time, George. How are you? Oh, I'm pretty good, pretty good, weathering the, the sickness and, and so forth. Yeah, and... it's, ba- it's basically gone it's, for uh, me. Yeah, it's been, yeah but... it's been a nasty, nasty, nasty year. Weston Williams in studio as well. Hey. Uh, gentlemen, you have any Super Bowl predictions? I mean, I really don't want the Patriots to win. I'll just say it. But, you know, they're, they are the Patriots. As, as the Stillers fan that you are, surely you're caught between a rock and a hard place, though. Yeah, it's really not a great year for us. I mean, I think uh, my, my opinion on who's going to win the Super Bowl is a little bit controversial, but I think it's going to be a football team. <laughs> what about who's going to sing the national anthem and who's going to kneel? Oh, that that's... That's the real question. Let's, there. let's bring back Renee Fleming. Oh, oh yes. I have to say, I mean, as much as I'm a fan of Renee Fleming, uh, a Northwestern graduate countertenor named Carl Alexander also sang the national anthem for sort of a high pressure occasion, which was like his graduation. Or yeah, like that. You know, and it was streamed like, or it got somehow made into a, like a YouTube video, and he sang it a cappella and went for crazy high notes that. Not even Renee Fleming or Joyce Nenato went for it. Not so. even Renee? <laughs> you know, the one where she sang the national anthem, there were two things that evening that needed um, air traffic control clearance. The first one was the B-2 bomber that, of course, flew over the stadium. And the second one was the uh, shoulder pads on that dress that she wore. That thing was just massive. Well, now it's in a museum, so you can go look at it whenever it's you want. It's in the Air and Space Museum. Yeah, That's exactly true. right. All right, let's talk <laughs> some opera. <laughs> 
Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. So uh, a very recent article in Arts and Culture, Texas, and the um, actually the, the, the website for this paper is Arts Plus Culture, and then just the symbol of Texas. It's really adorable. I don't know if this is like a legitimate news source, but uh, they do have like some field reporters. And we have a story by uh, Stephen Brown, uh, which is sort of a profile of countertenor Arianus Bamcon. And we've been meaning to get Aria back on the show since he has been a part of the rebuilding of Houston Grand Opera and has premiered in no less than two performances or two productions uh, this season at, at Houston Grand Opera, uh, one of which we would expect it to be amazing in, which is Julius Caesar. You played Nereno, is that right, Aria? Yes, indeed. Yeah, and then somehow he's in Electra <laughs> by Strauss with Christine Gerke, which is totally weird. Um, I'm so excited. <laughs> so welcome back to the show, Aria. How are you? Thank you. Good. How are you, Oliver? Good to be back. I, it's, I'm so excited to talk to you. So what has it been like? We talked to you just about a year ago after winning the um, Met National Council auditions, and I think at that point you knew you were going to be going to Houston, but did you know you'd be singing in Electra? I did, actually. I did at that point. Um, yeah, when they offered me to join the studio, they obviously offered me the role in, in Handel's Julius Caesar, which was you know, not so surprising. And then they asked if I would be, you know, they didn't sort of force it upon me. They asked if I'd be willing to sing Second Maid in Electra. And I, I looked at that cast and I said, uh, any excuse to be in the rehearsal room every day watching those folks? Thing. absolutely yeah, who would have thought you would ever be in an opera with christine gerke like how is right <laughs> not me but she is the best <laughs> she is a delightful the person yes oh. so yeah. i have to say like uh, i've been kind of just paying attention to the publicity surrounding your career and they seem to be making you sexy is that intentional like every time <laughs> i see a picture of you you like have like your shirt open and like you have like I don't know if you're wearing makeup or if you're like they're just powdering your face or airbrushing you. I don't know. I mean, you're a good looking guy already, but they're like turning you into something else. I don't get it. Oh, well, thank you. I'm flattered. You know, I, I mean, I'm having a good time. I love photo shoots and, uh, and whatnot. So I'm not complaining, but, you know, <laughs> well, I always joke, though, you know, opera, hi ho, the glamorous life, you know, it can be glamorous. But then here we are in Electra and in this production, the lyric opera production, the McVicker production, we, um, the, the maids are these sort of cyborgs with bald caps and crazy makeup in dra in the uh, a little bit less sexy and, uh, exactly so it's not you know when you come off stage and take all that off it's not as clever hey Wesson <laughs> just because they're genderless doesn't mean they're sexy oh well, that, that this is, is twenty eighteen good point brother. yeah I I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Electra is a very sexy opera. Although yeah. I, w I did look at uh, the Houston Grand Opera um, website advertising Electra, and it does have an A for appropriate for all ages, followed <laughs> huh. by the sentence, Revenge is a dish best served cold, blood soaked, horrifying, and perfect for the opera state. I I I was kind of wondering about about the whole ad process for Houston Grand on that one, but uh, I actually think their, their marketing has been amazing. Like that movie they had of of Christine Gerke like playing with blood was so cool. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that was good stuff. So is it is it violent on your end or or is it family friendly for all ages? Well, uh, I. I wouldn't say it's friendly for all ages, but I'm just happy, you know, one of the maids doesn't make it out alive. But I do. So nice. I, I, I have a nice evening. <laughs> I don't bleed to death on stage for 45 minutes. So. 
So h- how has it been this past, you know, nine months since we last talked to you? What is what has your life been like? And are, are you starting to feel like, I don't know, like th- there's just too much to do and maybe you need to just like take a break, you know, have some aria time? No, I mean, I've been having a really, really wonderful time, uh, you know, it's, to have the opportunity to kind of, you know, sing for a living and, um, you know, be able to sort of quit my day job um, and just focus 100% on singing has been just amazing. And that's something that I only did immediately following the Met competition when I um, was able to do that. Um, no, it's been a, a great time. I've just been learning so much here in Houston and um, it's been a crazy season to be here, obviously, being out of the Wortham and all, but um, but I've been having a fantastic experience here, and I'm just grateful for the opportunities. So what was that like after the hurricane and, you know, figuring out if the season was going to go on and, you know, the plans to uh, remount the productions? And what was that space, a convention center or something? Yes, yeah, in the, the convention center. Well, so it's really crazy at first. I have to say the most amazing thing is that HGO management never questioned whether they were going to put on the season. It was just a matter of where and how, um, which I think is just amazing. And they were able to honor all the contracts of all the singers who were going to be coming in this season and put on a fantastic season for the for the patrons and audiences of Houston. Um, but it was certainly crazy at first. You know, I got to Houston the day that Harvey started hitting. Mm, <laughs> it wow. was a, a wild, I was in London for a week and then flew back to DC where my car was and drove down to Houston in two days because I was supposed to start at the opera the next day. And then the day, the night I got here, the storm started to come in and it started to pummel that city for the next, public city for the next five days, five, six days. And um, yeah, it, it was, it was an amazing time to join a company just to see how the company rallied together. Um, and a number of HGO employees lost their homes and um, we all went out and helped them clear out the, all the sheetrock and their belongings. And, you know, it really, to, to join that kind of community in that moment was very powerful. And I think... Isn't that what the young artist is supposed to HGO. do? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, just to, you know, come together with the company and really uh, be part of that spirit of resilience, as HGO has been calling it, building the what they're calling the Resilience Theater inside the, the GRB Convention Center in downtown Houston. It's been a... Uh, a wild ride. And the production of Giulio Cesare, that was in the uh, convention center space, am I right? Yeah, yeah. We've, they've been doing all the productions inside the convention center. And what, I mean, how much How much did that throw you? You know, you're saying everyone's pitching in, and I, and I get that. And I'm just trying to think, you know, from the director's point of view, it, it would certainly throw you for a loop, but I think you would kind of power through it. How did it affect you as a performer? Or even acoustically, I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah, well, acoustics are the one... Uh, you know, really tough thing, obviously, in the convention center. I'd say the space is better than you would think, but obviously nowhere near the acoustics of an opera house. Um, but what's nice about the convention center is that the city gave HGO, because, and the reason they sort of ended up in the convention center is that the Wortham Theater, you know, the opera house here in Houston, is owned by the city. So the city also owns the convention center, so they were able to sort of give that space uh, instead, essentially. Um, and relocate, you know, hundreds of conventions that were supposed to be in there. But so the city gave HGO a huge space, so they've been able to put on sort of almost the full technical, uh, on the technical side to really do opera, you know, in its sort of grandeur, um, even if the acoustics aren't great. Um, but no, the, the season of Caesar actually adapted really well. Um, it's Jim, it was Jim Robinson was our director. It was fabulous and really really altered the production to fit the space, which I thought was brilliant. 
his production of Caesar is uh, set in a Hollywood back lot. Um, and so it actually kind of worked because the production was originally sort of set in a warehouse. So it ended up working quite well, but the Electra set they adapted brilliantly for the convention center. And um, the, I just can't imagine all the work that the technical department at HGO has done, but they've done an extraordinary job. That's great. I mean, it's, 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 it's always, uh, I, I know that uh, opera houses often, you know, have, have financial difficulties and certain obstacles they have to overcome, but uh, having, having that dumped on you uh, is it's really remarkable. Um, do you have any sense of how the company is going to go forward once they get past the, uh, the, this initial wave of devastation? Well, are, are there any new plans for what's going to come out of this other than what's currently going on in the productions right now? So, I mean, the, re the city's rebuilding the Opera House. It's scheduled to be ready for next season. And um, I know HGO has endured, uh, you know, many millions of dollars in losses just in all the stock that was lost in the Wortham and all the money they've had to put into putting on an opera season. And I know they're, um, you know, the fundraising efforts are underway and it's going to be a busy couple of years for that development team. Um, but again, you know, they're doing extraordinary work. And, and I know that the, the patrons of HGO have already started to really rally and I know the board has already, they've really stepped up to help um, close the new gap. And, you know, if opera companies in America weren't um, in enough, uh, perilous enough standing already, you know, to have this kind of thrown at you, it's, uh, it's crazy. So this would be around the time when an uh, opera company is beginning to announce their next season. And I'm sure you know what you'll be doing next year. Is there anything you can tell us about what's in the works for Houston? Ooh, well... So in Houston, HGO just announced their season. So I'm uh, just in Houston for one season, and then uh, in July I'm moving to San Francisco to join the San Francisco Opera Adler Fellowship. Oh, my gosh. Um, for a year, which I'm really excited about. Um, so I'll be sort of doing half my training in each place. Um, and as far as the things I'm doing next season, I don't think any have actually been announced. But um, HGO season has been announced. It's going to be a fantastic season back in the Wortham and um, – yeah, it is. It's a uh, Flying Dutchman, Bohem, uh, Florencia, and El Amazonas, Pearl Fisher's Don Giovanni, and a world premiere called The Phoenix uh, with Thomas Hampson. Oh, Everybody's really? doing Pearl Fisher's these days. Do yeah, they have Matthew the, Polanzani? Uh, <laughs> no, it's, uh, uh, it's Lawrence Brownlee. Brownlee. Oh, okay. Yeah, Larry Brownlee and Mario Kvitsch in, uh, in well, the Xandra yeah. Rhodes production. <laughs> it was the same production, Oliver, that was uh, at. Lyric Opera of Chicago. Oh, that one. Uh, the Flying Dutchman production. <laughs> I think this is the same. Uh, I know it's directed by Tomers Vulin from Atlanta Opera. I want to. I want to oh, say really? it's the same production, but I yeah might be, might be wrong that on one. that. Uh, this is it's a new production. It's listed as a new production on the HGO website. Um, so and then also, um, are you just looking uh, further down the line? As you said, in, in this summer you're at Cincinnati Opera for um, Papaya. Yeah. And uh, that, that's a role debut for you. Yes, I'm very excited. In, um, when I was in undergrad, I sang Nero and Popea, back when I was really a kind of soprano countertenor, um, and I've sort of settled into more standard countertenor range these days. Um, so I'm making my role debut as Otone in the Incoronazione di Popea, which is an opera very close to my heart, and um, I think it'll be a fabulous production. Oh, Zach Winnicker is directing. I thought you were going to tell us you're, you're moving up and you're going to be singing Popea. Oh, if only. <laughs> if only I could. Hey, I've conquered uh, Trout, so <laughs> yeah. what's next, right? 
That poor um, guy, Otone. I mean, I, I love that opera, uh-huh. but I feel like Otone, what a, a sad sap. I uh, know. Yeah, that's true. He he doesn't have a good, <laughs> let's just say. Yeah. Probably not as uh, probably not as sad as Electra's handmaidens, but I. I, I. <laughs> well, this is the one that gets that gets like kicked to death, or whatever, right? Like. Oh yeah, yeah. In, in Electra. Yeah. Uh, it's the fifth maid servant. Yeah. Spoiler! Spoiler alert! Oh, okay. uh, oh shoot! For all you families out there looking to take your, you take your kids, no. she's the whistle. To the all ages appropriate. <laughs> well, in this production, what I love about this McVicker production is that it's really gory and literal. And uh, there's a lot of blood, and it, ooh, I can't imagine bringing a child. Yeah, that's appropriate for all ages. Yeah, <laughs> but um, no, that that fifth maidservant is the whistleblower of the opera, right? Mm, exactly. Yeah, you know what we do to whistleblowers around here? Yeah, we don't want any leaks. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Uh, so, right, as you said, you're moving back to San Francisco. You've done the Marilla program there. You're going to go back into Adler. Uh, you're looking forward to to living back in San Francisco. I am. It's a a city very near and dear to my heart. I was just out there in December um, for a recital and some messiahs, and I go back out there in a few weeks again in February and again in March for another recital. And I just I love San Francisco, and um, yeah, I can't can't wait to live there. And, oh, you and, uh, you did messiahs with Susanna Karpov and exactly yeah, and, and Hadley Adams and Zach Wilder and Zach Wilder. Oh my God, that must have been so much fun. We had a great time. For those of you who don't know, Suzanne Karpov. Uh, is a soprano. Is she LA-based? I forget where she's from. I think she's in New York now. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, if you don't know her yet, she's a young artist kind of territory. You will know her. She's ridic- mm-hmm. she's ridiculous. Just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Incredible singing. Yes. Well, well um, it was really great to uh, touch base with you again. And maybe we'll have our, our annual phone call to... Hey, I'm here for it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we definitely want to hear what what being in the Adler program is like. You have so many experiences, I think, that are like so critical for somebody in your in the level of your career. And it's good to like have known you now, so we can say that you did this and did this, and that you were on our show twice before we have to pay your agent to get you on the show. Oh, please, as <laughs> if. <laughs> All right, my man. Thanks a whole bunch for your time. Absolutely. Happy to be here. All right. Thanks for having me. Ciao. Electra runs through February 2nd at Houston Grand Opera. You can just tell us what you think on Twitter at Opera Box Score. You can also email us. Hey, do the kids do that anymore, Weston? People still no, email? No, no. We, we only use Snapchat. All right, skip that. <laughs> hey, look, after the break, it smells just like Matt's living room, a potpourri chalk talk covering competitions, repertoire lists, and a focus on opera in Washington, D.C. That's all next, only on Opera Box Score. America's talk radio show about opera, live on WNUR, Evanston, Chicago. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result, 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. That's what you're listening to, all right. 
George Cedarquist here with Oliver Camacho. Hello. Matt Cummings. Hey there. And Weston Williams. Boy, howdy. That was awesome checking in with Arya Nussbaum Cohen down there in Houston. Yeah, it was a, it was a good a good convo with a good guy. I wonder how hot he's it is so, down there. He's so pretty. <laughs> he really is. I mean, like, I I didn't want to embarrass him, but like, and the, these pictures that people are taking of him make him look like a movie star. Well, we only have pretty people on our show, mm, so true. it really works yeah. out. That's a that's a if fair. If they point. ever make yeah. Call Me by Your Name into an opera, he could he could play Oliver. Oh. Yeah. Speaking of which, Oliver, why don't yes. you um get your get this potpourri going on? Okay, so yesterday I had the distinct, I don't want to say pleasure, but uh, experience of attending the uh, Metropolitan National Opera Council Auditions Central Region Finals concert slash competition performance. Uh, so it was a total of 16 singers. One was six, so it ended up being 15, who uh, were finalists for the Central Region, which includes Wisconsin? Pen- Ohio, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania? Indi- I think so. Oh, wow. Maybe not. Maybe not Pennsylvania, but definitely Ohio. Yeah. Indiana? Yeah. And Wisconsin? Yes. Okay. So um, th- there was a really good crop of singers, I have to say. Uh, I was really... Uh, satisfied with the level of talent. Uh, I was a little bit confused by the ultimate winners, but nevertheless, uh, everybody was deserving who was on that stage. Um, Congratulations to a tie for first place, a three-way tie for first place. Wait, somebody from Thailand? So the first place winners get to go to the Met semifinals uh, in New York. And then they uh. eventually get narrowed down to the final finals. But uh, the regional, the central region winners were tenor Terrence Chin Loy, who sang uh, Lucia Lamamore, tenor aria from the finale, La um, Poco Mero Covero. And then they asked him to sing uh, for his second aria uh, from Daughter of the Regiment, Pour Me, Pour Me Rapprocher de Marie, which was surprising because he did have like the kind of the heft to sing the Donizetti, the Lucia Donizetti, I was surprised that he had listed the lighter Donizetti um, as his second aria, as one of his. That five. one definitely sits a little bit lower than I'm SME for as someone who, but. It still has like a high C or something like that. In it's it. like it's it, optional. Yeah. Well, he, I mean, it's yeah. expected, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. Um, the other um, two winners were um, mezzo-soprano Gretchen Krupp, who I think is an IU student. Uh, she started with uh, the aria from Maid of Orleans uh, by Tchaikovsky, which was amazing. It sort of like, you know, blew my loose eyelashes off of my eyes. Is that an expression? <laughs> Secure <No>. your eyelashes, <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> Glue them down a little bit. <laughs> Toby and, can recommend a product. To yeah. Uh, keep those. Uh, and her second aria was a uh, selection from uh, Jonathan Ward's The Crucible. Is that name, name Jonathan Ward or Adam Ward? Uh, Robert Ward. Robert I Ward. Okay, his, I knew yeah. it was something Ward. Yeah. Uh, I do not judge you, John. And I was surprised there was actually two mezzos who offered uh, The Crucible. Hmm. And the, it's having a moment. It is. And the third winner uh, was Soprano. Uh, i got to find her. Um, Joanna Lantini who started with uh, Piangero and then uh, was asked to sing, to, sing, to sing Juliet's Waltz from Romeo and Juliet. Uh, second place uh, went to the only low male voice uh, in the competition 
a uh, bass uh, named Thomas Petrushka, who started mm. with Il Lacerato Spirito. He's 23 years old, and he oh, was singing wow. Il Lacerato Spirito. So I was like, okay. And then uh, his second piece was uh, Virraviso from Sonambula. And then the Encouragement Award went to a very high tenor who, like, even when he talked to introduce himself, I was like, okay, he is, like, almost <laughs> a countertenor. Yeah. Uh, he sang Cenerentola aria, Si Ritrovarla, and they asked him for Romeo's aria, uh, A Leptoile de Soleil, as his second. What venue was this in? This is Nichols Concert Hall in Evanston, which is a very live space, uh, great for chamber music, great for even, like, solo violin It'd be great for a lute recital. That's that type of oh, live space. Yeah. So yeah. that was to the singer's benefits. Oh yeah, everybody sounds okay. amazing in okay. that hall. You know. Yeah, it's like the acoustics in my bathroom at home. Everybody um, sounds better in their bathroom. Oh, yeah. so true. But I have to say that there were three uh, lyric opera uh, Ryan Center uh, fellows uh, in the competition. Or two fellows: a Dinah Newman soprano uh, who sang Lulu to start, and it was amazing. Oh yeah, oh, wow. and I know. And then uh, her second piece was the presentation of the rose the excerpt from oh also good and she did both so ridiculous amazing she's got amazing technique she has like the full range of colors available to her she knows the lulu so well that it sounds so natural Hmm. for her and uh, she just has one of those tones that just kind of like she launches it and it spins and it's silvery and it's like it's incredible. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It seems strange that you would do the Ryan Center and then try and win the the Met final. That seems back. I'm to glad front to me. I, I, we're gonna get back to that. Uh, <laughs> I I want to talk about that. Uh, and the other uh, Ryan Center uh, person was a tenor from Mexico named um, Mario Rojas who uh, was in the Rigoletto. He was, I guess, Marulo. I forget what the tenor, other tenor or tenor role is in that, the one that has a couple lines at the very beginning. So I'd heard him sing in that, but I'd never heard him sing, like, for real. Uh, and I was completely blown away. He sang Johnny Skiki, you know, the Renuccia aria. Which has every word in the, in the Italian language yeah. about four times. <laughs> and he sang the Skiki at the end. He put the double consonant and the Skiki, and he held... He held the silence. It was incredible. We're not talking about any John Nuskaka here <laughs> yeah. this time. He's that ski classic. Ski. <laughs> and then they asked him for um, Demie Bolenti Spirito. And I have to tell you, I'm not pooping you when I say that <laughs> hearing this guy sing this aria made me think of like young Carreras or like Di Stefano. And I could not help myself from crying. Like it was so good. Wow. His phrasing was so Italianate. He had so much swagger. He had so many like raising ideas and the voice itself is beautiful. I was like, he's got to win. There's like no way he's got to win, you know? And then we actually had a, a tenor from the lyric opera chorus named Jared Esguera who sang human madness from Moby Dick, which blew me away. I don't really think that like English is a great thing to show off, but he did it so well. It was very colorful. He acted it and his tone was great. Well, you think it's too easy to sing in English? No, I just think that it's, uh, especially the American 21st century operas, just for me, are not so lyrical and there's like not so many beautiful moments like where you I'm I'm talking out of my butt right now everybody knows that <laughs> yes. but like I'm, I just I don't recognize tell. these artists enough to like get excited about I mean, them maybe but it's Jake Hagee who definitely yeah. always has his ear on melody yeah. it's not you, yeah. you yeah, know I'm not saying it's atonal but like I don't know what to expect in those artists so like I don't have like any expectations that's true um, and then his second piece was uh, Asile Hereditaire um, from William Tell which has a climactic high C at the end hmm. and he he was great. He had a little tiny, tiny, tiny little blip on coming off of the sea, 
But apart from that, he sounded beautiful, and he, he really acted the, both arias. So anyway, not to take anything away from the three winners, which I clearly just did, uh, <laughs> but I was just really surprised that uh, the three people that I thought were going to advance, not, none of them advanced, none of them even got the encouragement awards. Like, okay. Sure. So it's making me think, to get back to your point, George, that maybe the judges, uh, including Alan Held and two other people, I should know their names, but I left my program at home, um, they think that people who are in that type of prestigious program don't need the boost. That's my hmm. only, that's the only way I can rationalize them not having yeah. advanced. That's tough. I mean, that's, that's, that's really tough because in, in one way, like every, everybody, if you're eligible, then you, then you yeah. deserve a There's shot, no, then you if, deserve a chance. If they're if, not allowed to win, then don't then let them don't enter. let them yeah. do it. It's yeah. Not, yeah. It doesn't even pretend to be a competition then. It's just, you yeah. know, a dog yeah. and pony show. Yeah. If, at the same time, what's happening in the industry, in this business, is that more and more qualified people are picking lower-hanging fruit because it's harder to get jobs. So in their defense, it makes sense to me that they're very accomplished. They haven't done the Met. Why wouldn't they go in there and try and dominate the whole thing? I don't think, I mean, I don't think it's low-hanging fruit for the singers. You still have to get up there and sing your butt off and sing well, you know, and have five arias ready to go. And, and I mean, just the pressure of that moment. And then like, it's okay. And then ask for the second one. And it could be the hardest. And more often than not, in this during this afternoon yesterday, they asked for the other hardest thing on their list. So just to see if, if the singer had the sure. stamina to get through yeah, it, sure. you know? Like this one poor girl who was amazing. She sang Chenarenzola as her opening piece. And then they asked for the Huguenot aria, um, Noble Seigneur. Noble Seigneur, which is so hard. It's just as it's just as frothy and yeah. floral, and it's you yeah. wouldn't expect anyone yeah, to pick like, something like that because it's kind of showing the same thing. Exactly. I was, but, like, there's no, I was like, there's no way they're going to ask for that, and they did. But like, on the other hand, they're saying, "Oh, you, you think you could sing Rossini? You, okay, sing this. Sing well, the you're going to present me this five. Let let me see if yeah. you can do your five. Yeah. You know, you're saying you can. So here's the ultimate test. Can you do this? Yeah. Well, appreciate the wrap up, Oliver. So anyway, we'll keep that's an eye my out for those people. Like I said, um, here at Opera Box Score. I do not represent the opinion of the radio show, <laughs> uh, but I have my own opinion. I'm still a person, you know, and uh, I'm, I was disappointed in the results, a little bit heartbroken, oh. but I, I know that uh, Mario Rojas especially is going to have a career and we're all going to be paying yeah. lots of money to hear him sing, so ultimately it doesn't matter. We'll keep an eye out to see where those folks next. go <laughs> in, the next, in the next round. It's Opera Box Score, WNUR. 89.3 FM. Matt Cummings, over to you. What's your potpourri selection Absolutely. for tonight? Down in D.C., they are really uh, breathing some life into new opera this weekend with a, a festival, the American Opera Institute, and they have commissioned three 20-minute operas and one hour-long opera that have been workshopped and worked with mentors. Uh, including the hardest m working man in show business, Mark Campbell, who wrote the little libretto to just about every <laughs> American <laughs> opera that gets done, and for good reason. They're really they're really wonderful librettos. Yeah. And the the big hit from this weekend was uh, by Missy Mazzoli and Royce Bavrek, uh, who put together the hour long piece, which was called "Proving Up," and it got. Um, a pretty rave review from Anne Majette, who is a notoriously difficult critic to pr please, uh, in talking about how the it, she was so disturbed by the the horror elements of this opera and the way that it was composed so effectively. Uh, and Safe for all ages. Yeah, 
<laughs> maybe they can do it as a, as a double bill with Electra, you know, just really. <laughs> and uh, throw some turn of the screw in there because who doesn't love a good dead child? Yeah, we all do here at Opera Box Score. Uh, that sounds like a really fantastic, uh, uh, what's the name of the festival? It's the American Opera Inst Institute, and it's part of the... Um, American Opera Initiative. Initiative, yeah. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's part of the Washington, uh, the Washington National Opera, uh, and the the performers are from the Young Artist Program there, the Domingo Kafritz, Kafritz, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's performed with a chamber opera, uh, chamber orchestra, and uh, Mark C Campbell gave a gave, uh, we found an interview with him, and he was talking about how you know how short a libretto for a twenty minute chamber opera is. It's about five pages of text. Really, so, to really refine your to you know to pick a subject that is that resonates with the audience, but that is simple enough to be able to communicate in five pages of text or, you know, a little bit longer than that for the hour long piece really shows. I, uh, I think it, uh, what's been a growing trend in opera with this, you know, small spaces, innovative ideas, trying to draw the audience in and make things speak to them directly, even though Oliver doesn't like opera in English. But. <laughs> I like Britain. He's 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 from England though. We're talking about American English here. I mean, this, this festival, the the American Opera Initiative Festival, it's been going for six years now, uh, and it is just such an essential part of how new work is being developed in this country. A prototype festival run by Beth Morrison Projects and Kim Whitener at at the Here Space in New York City. That was in the the first weekend of January. I, I mean, I think that's always going to kind of be the preeminent place to go, partly because it's not created by an opera house, and it's always going to have that truly edgy downtown feel. But to have the nation's opera company, and, and like it or not, I think Washington National Opera really is kind of represents the face of the nation in a way. Um, it's just so critical that they have this type of a program. Will something like Proving Up become the next Breaking the Waves? It's the same uh, composer and librettist? Maybe, maybe not. That's not really the point. The point is, is that young artists are being showcased, librettists are being showcased, composers are being showcased. I can't speak to the directors and the designers. I don't know that element, the creative teams. Um, but as Mark Campbell said, quote, this training program for the next generation of composers and librettists has taken on a crucial role in the creation of new opera in this country. And I, I mean, I think he's really hit the nail on the head. And yeah, I, abso just I absolutely agree with him because he, he points out in that interview that there's really, like, conservatories don't necessarily know what to do with librettists and opera composers so much. There's not really... Uh, so much of a chance to really get out there and test stuff and put it on and mm -hmm. workshop it in this sort of environment. And that if we are looking to expand the audiences, they're really working to come up with ideas that speak and speak to people and get people excited. And this seems like a great way to do it to me. I would love to go to DC and see all four of these pieces. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to be, a. I mean, obviously I wouldn't be singing, but I'd love to be a part of a program like that that would just uh, create something just dirty and just, just you know, uh, it's good. That is exactly what I want. I, every time I'm talking to to uh, 
a civilian about opera. You know, they're they're always they're always you know. I just mention a new opera offhand, and half the time they're surprised that new operas are even being made. You know, it's uh, it's very frustrating that I don't have I don't always have something to point to. You know, down the street, and it's like, oh yeah, and and you can go check out this new thing. Um, it's a little bit better in Chicago, of course, coming from Alabama. A little bit less of an okay. opera scene, just no, no, a little I, bit. I, I feel you, and like as the old, as the uh, staff old person <laughs> here, um, as I want to ask you because you're, I, I singled you out when you were attending the Monteverdi operas at the mm. Harris Theater, just because you're one of the young, youngest people in the audience. It's one of the you're, tallest people in the you, audience. Yeah, 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 that's also true. Yeah, <laughs> two for two. It was yeah. those stilts. But you Western. see that you're an outlier in some of these you know, surroundings and some of this, how do you explain that? And since you are attracted to these things and you go to these things, what would you think we need to do as administrators and people who talk about opera, people who market opera to get people in your generation to show up? Well, I mean, the, the, the first thing you have to do is, is be aware that they're, uh, cause I, I, from my experience with people who work in opera or in classical music, uh, they tend to be very much within the circle. You know, they, they, they rarely talk to people outside of, of that, you know, about opera. You know, it's kind of like a, you, you don't really... I feel like a lot of opera people, at least, you know, in the, in the, in the South, when you're just talking about it with, uh, with a, a normal person... There's this sort of inferiority complex, you know. You're just like, oh yeah, I'm into opera, and you you just know the person's going to be like, oh that that old music, you know. It's it is it's a matter of getting out and talking to people, not being afraid to talk about it, and uh, not being and not being afraid to really inject some passion in there. You always want to find something that's going to shock the person you're talking to in particular, something that you know about them that they'd be surprised to find was in opera. Um, you know, uh, something, you know, if they're like a horror movie fan, you can talk about Electra and all the blood, you know, if they're, if they're you know, uh, if they're someone who uh, likes uh, electronic music, you can point them at some uh, t- late 20th century opera, some Philip Glass, um, you know, uh, and a lot of it's just a matter of taking, uh, taking just just talking about it. So you you're know. thinking that some of the esoteria of opera can be entrance points for oh, some people? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, when, I was in, when I was in college, I had my own uh, radio show uh, specifically geared toward um, people who didn't know about opera. I would play clips, talk about the pieces uh, on the air. And it's actually a pretty popular radio show. Um, I called it Crescendo. Uh, it's like this show, except different in almost every way. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I would, I would get like feedback during the show and it, it was, I always got a lot of really positive feedback on the ones that were really weird that you wouldn't expect to have. Cause you know, you'd expect, you know, Oh, Puccini or, you know, all the, all the big popular ones, right. all but the I'm war horses. I, I get that. But does that result in ticket sales? Uh, eventually it does. If you get enough people going around and just being, as loud as possible about it, that will eventually translate into people becoming curious it's, and going and seeing. It's partly things. that, and it's partly about the expectations, right? Is is we've got to break down what the expectations are of this block of audience members and say, look, it's not what you think it is. Those archetypes, those exactly. stereotypes, that's not what this is. Come with me. Come into this building. And by the way, we're not going to the opera house. 
If you want to dress up, you can. We're going to a convention center. <laughs> we're going to a convention center. We're going to a studio theater. We're going to a place where there aren't seats, you know? But, like, cross the threshold, come into this space with me, and see something which you do not expect. Hey, before we wrap this segment up super fast, I want to get my, my potpourri in here. Last week on the show, we uh, fielded a question from Kevin Byrne, friend of the show, professor uh, of theater studies at University of Arizona, and he'd asked us about important works from the 19th and 20th centuries that really helped to kind of change the art form. We uh, had a, a bit of a... I don't know, vomit fest, I guess, to get those <laughs> get those titles out. And as it turned out, Kevin, he just sent me what he's now put on his syllabus, and you'd be surprised how much overlap there is between his list, which he wrote, by the way, before our show, and the list that we came up with, overlap including uh, Donizetti's Lucia di la Memoire, Wagner's Tristan, Unisolda, mm -hmm. Zalame by Strauss, Peter Grimes by Britain. I think that was perhaps all the all the, the overlap. overlap. Yeah, yeah. And his list leans heavily twentieth century. It so. does. It does. He also had Va uh, Kurt Weil on there, Three Penny Opera. I believe uh, I, I did. I mention Wozzeck last week. You you did, and he said yeah. that was a possible option. Oh no, it's 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 a, you okay. If you're listening, you have to put it on there. This is exactly. my, from me to you. Well, and, and and he beat everybody by programming Wolfgang Rims. Hamlet machine. I love me some Wolfgang Rim. Sure you do. And I love that <laughs> opera, yeah. Hamlet machine. That's because you don't like singers. So. <laughs> hey, um, after the break, it's the two-minute drill. All your headlines from the past week in Opera Land. Stick around for our hot takes on them. This is Opera Box Score, America's talk radio show about opera. <laughs> From Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Give me 60 more seconds of your time so I can share a secret with you. When I tell people about Opera Box Score, they always ask, how come we're a live talk radio show, not just a podcast? The answer? We want to give listeners like you the chance to call into our show and have your opinion heard live on air. It's easy. Stream our show live on WNUR.org slash pop-up on Mondays at 9 p.m. Central Time. Then, give us a call during the broadcast with your take on what we're talking about. The number? 847-866-WNUR. Wait, do people even have letters on their phones anymore? 847-866-9687. Talk to you later. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time for everything you need to know from the past week in opera land. 35 years ago, the Canadian Opera Company in Toronto tried a grand experiment while singers performed Strauss's Elektra in German on stage. Simultaneous translations in English were projected above the stage. These, quote, super titles, as they've come to be known, with the idea of the company's artistic director, the late Lotfi Mansouri. Canadian-American soprano Aaron Wall has withdrawn from Gounod's Faust at Lyric Opera of Chicago to undergo chemotherapy, Anthony Freud, the general director, announced. He added that, quote, her doctors expect a full recovery within a few months, according to her manager, end quote. Internationally celebrated American soprano Eileen Perez will portray Marguerite in the new production. 
When Maria Callas appeared on stage at the Rose Theater at Jazz at Lincoln Center on Sunday night, she looked a little pale. Why? Well, because she's been dead since 1977. That was from the New York Times. This Callas was a three-dimensional hologram, the latest in a series of musical visual resurrections that have included Tupac Shakur and Michael Jackson. Rufus Wainwright will be in Cincinnati in March to workshop his new opera, Hadrian, as part of Opera Fusion, the new works partnership between the opera company and the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music's opera department. Past works that have come from the program include Gregory Spears' work, Fellow Travelers. And on this day for January 22nd, it was the premieres of Redegore by Gilbert and Sullivan at the Savoy Theater in London in 1877, and Lady Macbeth of the Mitsensk District by Shostakovich in Leningrad in 1934. That's your two-minute drill. Opera class. Sports radio crass. This is Opera Box Score. And we are back on WNUR 89.3 FM. Oliver Camacho in the studio. So I just want to say that there is a movie that was uh, released in the U.S. in 2017, but it's actually a 2016 British drama by William Oldroyd, starring uh, an, a young actress named Florence Pugh called Lady Macbeth, uh, which supposedly has the same you know, uh, source material as the Shostakovich really? opera. And I just watched it. It's like available for streaming now. And it was really, really good, like set in the 19th century. Um, very dark, very twisted, lots of violence. Very family friendly. Yes, exactly. It gets an A. <laughs> well, for appropriate. Family and polyburo yeah. friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Very polyburo. <laughs> I mean, you say family friendly. You know, my dad, who's a huge Shostakovich fan, that was one of the first operas I remember listening to. Was it. with him, actually. <laughs> was, yeah. was, it's a um, great one. Uh, oh my god, I would kill to do that show. I love oh, it. That'd be I love it. Phenomenal. <laughs> I would. I would come to see it. I will. I will heckle in the back row. Good for you. Okay. You're welcome. That's, that'll be the next uh, young artist project for like, <laughs> DePaul University or wherever you're teaching these days. So. Oliver, what's on your okay, mind? Okay, so I wanted to talk about uh, soprano Eileen Perez Do because uh, on Saturday um, they broadcast the fall production, a, a performance from the fall production of Thais with Eileen Perez and uh, Gerald Finley and um, Boras. What's that? Oh, Jean-Francois yeah, Boras. Boras. Um, and Eileen sounded so amazing. I mean, she was on fire and just the voice was so present and like her tone was just so delicious and like cutting, you know, like just, it had beautiful like edge to it, but it was warm and impassioned. And it just, to me, she feels like a throwback to a singer like Renata Tabaldi. And I never actually heard Renata Tabaldi live. And I know that she had a huge like fan base and people would applaud just when she walked out on stage like that. Mm -hmm. She was that type of beloved singer. But I, I feel like Perez has that type of voice. Like where people hear it's like, like, Oh my God, that's a beautiful voice. Absolutely. And yeah. And I heard her sing way back in the day. Uh, and the, when James Conlon was still at Ravinia and he was um, conducting uh, operas uh, in concert and, and I heard her as the Contessa, um, in Marriage of Figaro, and I remember the first time I heard it, I was I was blown away. So um, the fact that she is replacing Aaron Wall uh, to sing Marguerite in uh, the lyrics production of Faust, I think is fantastic. I have to say I was a little bit, I don't want to say disappointed, but kind of like underwhelmed by the original cast for that show. 
Uh, but now with Perez stepping in for Aaron Wall, uh, I think that might be a really hot ticket suddenly for uh, the Lyric season. Of course, our wishes, best wishes go to Aaron Wall and her family. They only tell us that she's undergoing chemotherapy, so we have to assume it's like cancer or something yeah. like that, which is terrible. She's so young, and she, you know, she is a Ryan Opera Center alumna. But I, 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 I agree that it's definitely going to be uh, an exciting night at at the theater with Perez on stage. She's really incredible. Yeah, and uh, it, it's a uh, and it's great to have her able to come do such a prominent role in her hometown. Yeah, and I am sure that plenty, lots of people will be coming out to support her. And yeah, hope and hear her for the first time and hopefully make a positive impression. Right. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. She it, the press release says she lives with her family in Elk Grove Village. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just that seems so Chicago to me. I don't know. <laughs> very just, local. <laughs> very local. It's like yeah. there you go, you know, you just you, you live in the in the burbs near Schaumburg and like you just truck in and you you <laughs> exactly. punch in at Lyric and they're saving so show. much money on hotels with her. <laughs> uh well yeah, and she's right by the IKEA out there yeah. too. So Oh, <laughs> that's the dream. She can build her own sets. <laughs> <laughs> Weston, not have you heard alone. have you heard her sing? I have not. Okay. I'm looking forward to it though. I plan to uh, see that one. Awesome. Um and not too long, yeah. Awesome. Hey, uh, who's next on our on our two minute drill uh, rundown here? Was I supposed to go next? I, don't I think know. we have Could the. I think we have the ghost of Maria Callas. We do yeah, have the ghost of Maria Callas. For sure. <laughs> yes. That that's that I think is the big one. That's the one that we need to talk about, <laughs> yeah. because uh, once you start uh, resurrecting opera singers through holograms, I mean, you know that. Uh, just you know, first of all, technically, I, I as a sound design kind of guy. I'm kind of intrigued by, as I believe it was, a live orchestra backing up Marie Callas' singing, of course, an old recording. Correct. And that must have been uh, a mess to, uh, to, to, to get through in terms of pulling out the orchestral sound and uh, keeping her voice intact. Um, uh, they must have gone in there to the original master and, like, Scrubbed it. And yeah, they like must have. And she was too. recorded enough so that I'm sure they could have yeah. done that. But, but even so, there was, uh, it's there would still be some background noise, especially with recording that old. It's yeah. just, uh, it, yeah, it's a mics, nightmare yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to, to do anything with uh, with stuff where you got all the echoes, the weird old sound effects. It's good stuff. Um, but uh, as to, you know, resurrecting Kalas herself, I mean, I think, uh, I think Kalas would love it, you know? There was, uh, I forget how long, a couple years ago, uh, Angela Gheorghiu oh, did that it. that video yeah. was a hot mess. <laughs> Where she sang like a duet with Maria Callas. And there was that whole Nat King Cole thing with his daughter, you know, Unforgettable. And um, right now, completely unrelated, but sort of related, uh, the Holocaust Museum is, are doing um, interviews with uh, Holocaust survivors. Mm, right, right. And preserving them as holograms. And they're having them like answer a thousand questions so that you can go to the Holocaust Museum and like ask a Holocaust survivor and like they have a pre recorded response type of thing, you know? It's it's bizarre. I mean, the, the, this story came from the New York Times article. It's on our website, operaboxscore.com. Uh, Anthony Tomasini, he makes the point in this article to say that um, he loved Collis without ever seeing her live. And that rather than recommend fledgling operas hear the hologram, he says, I'd, I'd tell them to go to the Mets where Sonia Yancheva and Anna Trebigor are singing Tosca this season. And that, that, will, be, that will be much more exciting. That yeah, will be except much that Anna Trebigor is not singing Tosca, right? 
Uh, yeah, I think she a, is in the spring. I think she's in the April cast. Maybe it means in the in, maybe it means oh, in I the second cast. Out of it. Yeah. So. The, the the point is is like his his point is that this is sort of an odd an odd substitute, and that in his opinion it's a slippery slope to replace the potential of new singers. And for us to get addicted to new singers rather than constantly obsessing about the past. Yeah, I mean, I, about old singers. I see that point of view. But on the other hand, like how many times have we have we released her complete recordings onto CD and MP3? Like, it, right. I really don't feel like there's that, like a brand new edition that just came it out. It just came <laughs> out. And there was one that came out maybe 10 years ago because yeah. I bought I got it as a gift when I was getting into opera for the yeah. first time is why I, I remember. But it, it I don't think it's really that far from there. And uh it's not just an opera thing. Like, of course, opera is jumping on the bandwagon really quickly because it's uh, an art form that is really married to its past. But it's not like Michael Jackson is and Tupac Shakur. I mean, these are people yeah. who uh, <clears throat> whose personas and whose legends are more are greater than the person themselves. And I I hope it's not the only experience that people have with opera, but I don't think it's necessarily bad that it's a supplemental one. I mean, it belongs. I I, I think it's a good. I idea to have things for posterity, but that doesn't mean yeah, that. Yeah, I mean her performances are important, like documents of opera history, and I think that people should hear her recordings at, at any rate, you know. And if this is a way for people to experience her recordings for the first time and maybe bring new people into the fold, I think go for it. I'm totally. I just into looking it, so. at these photos, it just it just kind of freaks me out, man. I don't. It know is what a little spooky. This is true. People go to the. <laughs> orchestra hall to hear harry potter played with by an orchestra or no no i'm talking about purely the visual element here like to see maria Callas in three dimensions with a reflection on this polished Ooh. floor in this like it's it's <laughs> a, don't tease me it's a it's a little spooky it's a little it's a little weird it would make a fantastic halloween concert though mm -hmm. like could you imagine this could resurrect all of these. Or a great episode of The Twilight Zone where they yeah. take over the opera house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should have done this on Halloween. Yeah. There Come we on, go. New York there Times. No, reporting I'm, things I'm, on time. I'm there for that. Hey, opera super titles turned 35. Yay, happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those aren't millennials. Oh, are they millennials? <laughs> it's unclear. It's pretty close. It's opera like super Right on the edge. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's funny. It, there's a quote in this NPR article from... Um, Lotfi Mansouri, who was at the, the Canadian Opera Company, he says, um, uh, I got blasted. This is from the audience. Uh, I had vulgarized opera, but I didn't give a damn because all of a sudden the audience was involved. And that is, yeah. that is so true. I mean, yes, there is a certain sense of distance because we're processing the story through reading the text right. rather than just watch, watching what's going on stage. But I, I don't think anybody could argue that super titles have not improved our experience okay, so of super titles were is. an outreach initiative from like the 70s or the 80s in a time when people were expected to show up at the opera knowing the the plot knowing libretto or purchasing a libretto at the door or, or not knowing library, a you know. thing about it and not caring there. that they yeah. didn't know anything about it yeah it's it's kind of interesting that i it, it's kind of interesting that it was so controversial because that it was really was. I, I remember hearing a story. I don't know if it's true. I haven't been able to find anything to verify it. But um, I believe it was um, Beverly Sills, I believe, was in a, uh, was in a production of Barber of Seville in, in Beijing. And uh, in Beijing, you know, obviously this being a Western art form, there's a lot of, a lot of explaining that had to be done. And they... Right. 
they put up, you know, super titles very early on. Um, and she had never sung in front of a house with super titles before. And so she was singing and she was uh, just shocked because people were laughing it, during the performance in something she'd never experienced before. And I just think that's such a striking example. They might have been laughing at the wrong time. But (laughs) that is true. But it was definitely a positive experience. I mean, if that is a true story, she was one of the people who really championed them at City Opera, especially. And then uh, when she was on the board of Lincoln Center, she was, I believe, that she was a big part of getting them finally into the Met. Since there's, I mean, that's the famous quote always is that, you know, it was either the general director or, you know, he who must not be named who said that they'll make it into the Met under, over, over his dead body, that, that, that would be so tawdry. They'd ruin the art form. They'd ruin the visual. And I really think that that, I'm glad that that, position didn't yeah well i mean obviously now uh the super titles are taken for granted i pose to you the audience to think of what innovations in opera over the past like 10 or 15 years you think we'll eventually take for granted as being part of the way we uh have opera maybe it's holograms it's a good it's a good question you can tweet us at opera box score on that and i give a shout out to one of my old mentors jerry shirk who was at coc and he actually helped develop those super titles all those years ago let's wrap this show up good call bad call on opera box score oh man it goes so fast all right uh hey oliver you got a good call you got a bad call i'm gonna call? throw it to matt then ask to throw it to me Cummings. Oh, I have to go first. Oh, yeah. so this weekend I'm going to see the uh, Met HD simulcast of Tosca with Sonia Oncheva, which I, I usually don't go to them because I feel that I can't turn my analytical brain off. You prefer the holograms. Yeah. I, I only, I exclusively go to holograms. <laughs> uh, but I'm excited to, you know, see what all the fuss is about since this has gotten so much press. And I am, mm. I'm a fan of hers. Yeah. Uh, and I want to, I want to hear it. You should have a triple date, you, me, and Weston. Oh, Yeah. Hmm. Is it because I have kids that I can't go? Yes. It's, it's, a, it's the, whatchamacallit, so This is not all families, uh, all family appropriate uh, Because of the Sabbath, that's why. It's and not the decolletage, Jewish, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, um, and quickly, um, for those of you who are curious about one of the uh, co-hosts of the show and creative consultant, uh, I'm part of the day-long celebration of Franz Schubert uh, coming up this Sunday at Pianoforte Foundation. I'm part of a marathon of the three Schubert song cycles starting at 4 o'clock. Uh, I'm in the Schwanengesang, which happens at about, ooh, I'm going to say 6.30 or 7. And it'll be streaming live on, on YouTube. Uh, check it out at pianofortefoundation.org. And there's probably no kids allowed at that one either. Huh? No, it's uh-huh. Sunday. You can bring your kids. Uh, it's hey, a, it's appropriate. Good call. Um, thanks to uh, Mark from Evanston for a donation to Opera Box Score. Aww. Appreciate that Thank very, you very much. much. You too can donate Opera Box Score. Dot com slash donate. That's and, it for and this thanks week's... to Aria for calling in. Cut me off. <laughs> hey, um, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts on Twitter. We're at Opera Box Score. And leave a review when you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Matt Cummings and Weston Williams, I'm George Cedarquist. 
asking you to continue the conversation about opera despite the government shutdown. Oh, wait, the government is running again. Okay, sorry. Continue the conversation about opera despite the government running again. We're back on Monday, January 29th at 9 p.m. Central with an all-new Fantasy Fachball segment plus our hot takes on the upcoming opera seasons in San Francisco and Los Angeles. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago Sound Experiment.